Welcome to Generations of X, the podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. I am your co-host, the uncanny Dayspring. And I am the adjectiveless Flinkman. Folks, I am fanboying the fuck out because we have artist and writer Cena Grace with us today. I am such a huge fan. I know Flinkman is a huge fan of yours as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I actually, I don't have it hanging up yet, but I do have this lovely piece that you did for me. I love it. It's my favorite. How Ooh. long did I take on that? Did I take criminally long? I feel like... No, I no. Oh, I didn't. Oh, good on like. I mean, I think you you emailed me like once or twice and we're like, hey, can I have a little bit more time? But like nothing compared to other people. I, I'm still waiting on something like two years later from Larry Stroman that he had already drawn and posted for sale on his Instagram. And I, I haven't gotten it. So you are not a horror story. Yes. But yeah, for those who need a little refresher, uh, Cena wrote the incredible 2017 Iceman series. Um, that was an 11 issue run. And then of course you came back um, for a 2018 run, um, which was five issues. And then you wrapped the story in Winter's End and Uncanny X-Men. Um, that was just before Hickman took over. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just gonna say it. I'm a diehard fan of that series. I, it's a comic I wish I had growing up when I was coming to terms with my sexuality. Because I just feel, I mean, there's so many mutants that occupy mutual, like two identities. And not many writers are able to nail it the way you did with Iceman. I mean, you just nailed what it meant to be LGBTQIA plus in today's world. And it was just really great. Thank you for that. Thank you, I, you know, I. It was, it was such a fun book to do. Well, okay, hold on. It was also work. Like it was just <laughs> a crazy, it was a crazy time, but I, I'm, I'm really only left with like all of the positives and also all of the good lessons too. Um, so thank you for saying that because uh, it's, you know, like it's such a big deal for anyone to give a crap about anything if that makes sense. I think especially like we live in such um, like an information overload uh, era and we live in like a binge era. Like how many Netflix shows have you told people you watched all the way through? And they were like, I watched a few, does it get any better? And you're like, you get used to it. And so- <laughs> <laughs> Like Orange is a New Black. Yeah, I mean, I liked the first few seasons of that and then I thought it actually kind of- Yeah, but... I love the first few seasons and then- but like, like I think Santa table. Clarita Diets, it's, Santa Clarita Diet is one of those shows where it's like, okay, it was like kind of good, but kind of eh. And I just remembered my then boyfriend's roommate being like, I don't know if it gets better if I just got like used to it. <laughs> and, and so for anyone to feel like a step above, like that was worth my time. Um, thank you. And like, I recognize that it's just a very uh, rare special treat to be on the receiving end of, of someone feeling that or like, you know, to be a creator of such yeah. content. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, it being worth our time is is really underselling it. It's a it's a very important book for, for comic book fans like me who, you know, I've been reading X-Men my whole life and I, I grew up, there wasn't, you know, there was North Star on the fringes, but he was never a main X-Man. So to have not just 
you know, an X-Man, but to have it be an A-lister like Bobby and have you deliver it so well, um, it, it was just a joy to read. It was just a joy. And, you know, I'm happy that, you know, I, I wish that I had had something like that when I was growing up, but I'm definitely happy that something like that is readily available, you know, for fans today. Um, and when all said and done, I think you're probably going to be seen as, as something of a trailblazer for the X-Books, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, well, I think X-Men likes to play deep in the metaphor, you know, like mm -hmm. the, and I think for a long time, the metaphor was a really comfortable place to, to be for, for everyone, the taste, mm -hmm. the, you know, the decision makers and the creators. Um, and then you realize, I, I think it takes sort of showing like, oh yeah, like, the metaphor is still there, mm -hmm. but also when you make things explicit, you have all this new room for story. Um, and that I think is something that like, they play with every, every kind of 10 years, there's sort of um, a shift where they'll, they'll, they'll go this way or that way with it. And I, and that was honestly, aside from just kind of the timing of it, my, my real, sort of like question mark about what Hickman was doing. Cause they, you know, like I knew about it before you guys knew about it. Cause. <sighs> well, you know, actually like I, funny enough, I worked with Charles soul at Harper Collins. He was one of my authors and he, he didn't give me any particulars, but he did say a big thing was coming for the X-Men summer 2019. Yeah. And so, so I knew the broad strokes cause I was like, well, you know, cause I was trying to get more opportunities within the company um, and I wasn't reading the signs, but, and, and they were like, oh, you can't do that. Cause like that context isn't going to be a thing after Hickman comes. And so when they told me what he was doing in broad strokes, I was like, well, that just kind of like eradicates the whole point of the metaphor and the whole point of the X-Men. And so it's really weird that, you know, I think Hickman's really good at landing planes. Um, and I think he's, you know, it, it, it's shifting in a different direction. Cause I think right before he came on, part of what I was involved in was being so like mired in the, like the darkness and the hardship um, of being different, of being in America, of being, you know, any number of uh, like minority qualities. Um, so it, it's interesting that X-Men can do that. Like it can, it, it can really just sort of, I guess, ping pong um, between like literal metaphorical and then just like zany adventure. <laughs> yeah, um, we have a lot of uh, questions regarding that going forward, but I wanted to first just like do a quick little flashback. You're you're little you're a little person. You're you're walking through the comic book store or wherever. What was your first experience with the X Men? What's your earliest memory with the X Men? I'm so. This is also why I like doing. Iceman was so easy because I, I was an X-Men fan. I am an X-Men fan. And I literally believe that I think the first X-Men book I wanted but didn't have was Uncanny 300, of course, because it had the holographic cover. Yes. With all those, I like, love holographic those holographic X's. covers. I keep saying they need to bring those back. I Well, having been an editor in comics and having to make one for The Walking Dead 100... Uh, they're so expensive. Yeah. They're so hard to do. Um, I understand why they're a dying art because we had to like, that cover had to be done like 
months before the book even like went to press. And then we had to ship the covers to the printer to then put on. It's like, we're just not set up for that stuff anymore. And the numbers for comics are not enough to validate it. Cause like back then it was, you know, I think Uncanny probably sold hundreds of thousands of copies. And, and now it's like a big deal if it sells like 75,000. Um, sorry, business talk. That, so that, to- that issue, that Uncanny 300 was actually it was probably my second X-Men comic book. That, that cover just, they really knew how to, to draw a six-year-old in with that cover. <laughs> oh yeah. And then, and then the first X-Men book like I got was the uncanny issue of like the Fatal Attraction arc. And, and then from there, it, it, it just was a deep dive. And it was like the trading cards, it was the cartoons. Cause for a while, I've said this like on every podcast I've ever been on, but like there was a while where I couldn't, go deeper into my comic store because they had movie posters on display and for a while they had child's play poster out and <laughs> I was ter- i'm still terrified of chucky you'll never get me to watch a child's play movie my um, so is terrified of chucky so i just stayed in the front and bought trading cards for like five or six months and that actually ended up helping me really like build out this like deeper knowledge and understanding of all these characters who like don't even show up in in the books half the time. Like they're just, you know, it's like they need to fill out this trading card count. But it was a great way to also learn about important eras Mm -hmm. in X-Men history too. Like, um, you know, I think like I knew more about what was the Mark Silvestri one, Inferno? Like I I only knew about Inferno for years just because of the backs of trading cards. Um, And so that was sort of my, that was my beginning the Flare Ultras, 94, 95. Oh, that was my beginnings too. I mean, I, I said this on our first episode, getting that Rogue card from the Flare 94, it's like, who is this person? They give you like a character bio, everything, and then they highlight the big events. It's, it's gnarly. It's great. So, so, of course, I have to ask the, the requisite question. Aside from Iceman, of course, who is your favorite X-Man then and now? Oh yeah. Um, so it was always Wolverine. I always love Wolverine. Um, I That's don't know funny. if I, I, well, I don't know if I'm sexually attracted. I mean, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> I wouldn't say no. But wait, wait, like, wait. I, comic book Wolverine or Hugh Jackman Wolverine? Both. <laughs> yeah, both. Hugh like Wolverine. both are very attractive They're for different yeah, reasons. Yeah. Like Hugh Jackman Wolverine is like seven feet tall and like, just always one bulging vein like he's anyway um and yeah he's a different kind of like tortured than wolverine is but i just thought wolverine was the coolest growing up i thought morph was the coolest yes um i felt like such a kinship to him in the x-men cartoon and then really really tried to like i tried to love him in age of apocalypse but the noselessness just anyway but um and i loved jean gray and i still do but i also feel I still feel like no one's like been able to tell a proper gene story in like 30 years. Like I think her being in the circumstances (laughs) of Grant Morrison was good, but like, I, I just feel like she's almost become like a Mary Sue of herself. I literally just like hit the perfect (laughs) balance between us because he's a crazy Jean Grey fan. And I'm I'm the person who says Jean Grey hasn't done shit for 30 years. Um, I'm sorry. Here comes tomorrow. 
Here Comes Tomorrow, that feature is avoided because she wiped it from existence and we got Scott and Emma together and I love the Scott and Emma romance. And that was because of Jean Grey. But right, she was like circumstantially cool. Like she, yes. <laughs> I, no, like I really love her, but I feel like I haven't understood her point of view in a really long time. You didn't um, X-Men Red? X-Men Red with Tom Taylor? Didn't- But el- she just like came back from the dead, didn't have like, she was like, hey, I'm here and I want to make the world better. Like, <laughs> I love it. I love X-Men Red. That had some of the best artwork. Tom Taylor is a fantastic writer and I don't fault Tom for this, but like the bitch was dead. And like, she mm-hmm. just had like, like even the resurrection book, like both of those just sort of glossed over like Jean's POV well, I do her have own feels. I have feels on Phoenix Resurrection, so yeah. But anyway, I'm not like I. I am the middle ground. Like I agree with both. Like I love Jean. I want more Jean. I'm not getting the Jean I think we deserve. She needs a good um, story. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. So, who is your least favorite X Man? Oh, so many. Um. <laughs> Well, like they're all, I think they can just all be grading in different ways. And to answer your question though, now I didn't, I always like loved Storm, but like I love Storm now. Like I really, having had to like spend time thinking about her as a person and then like, you know, doing all this, like keeping up with all these X-Men books and like really trying to read and understand all these characters. I love her all the more. Um, yeah, she's super cool. And and I just think like, similarly, she has such a hero's journey that like, no one's really like tapped into yet. Um, but, uh, who I like the least, I think Scott, when handled poorly is handled very poorly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, who else do I not like? I don't know. There's like a bunch of like side characters who just like sometimes they're just so boring or so stupid or like people will be obsessed with a character and that character like is like, um, I don't know. Like I think, I think sometimes like I think writers have a big crush on Kitty Pride. Oh, I, I talked about this in our first episode. I think Kitty Pride is overrated because I think she's whatever the writers demand of her or want her to be and they don't have a full realization of who she is yeah because it's male writers like let teeny howard write kitty pride for a year you know like love uh, it would love um leah williams teeny howard write kitty pride yeah yeah i mean i want leah to handle like do psylocke all day um (laughs) betsy braddock but yeah so that those are that long short answers that's everything those are my that's sort of where my head's at with those characters um i also think cable can kind of suck sometimes too sometimes some he i'm not a big fan of teen cable right now i want you know gruff daddy cable back please Mm -hmm. i miss nick gray but um what's your favorite crossover crossover oh that's so i'm like looking at my bookshelf I don't know. I think, well, like, oh, you know, like, I don't know if it was very good. I don't know if I could reread it now. But as a kid, this was when I really got into things. Like, the two things I got, I'm not going to say favorite. I'm going to say the ones that, like, affected me at a young age and really just, like, got me in. Because I think if I looked at them now, I think they're both stupid. Um, The Phalanx Covenant, which was the birth of Generation X. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And then um, Operation Zero Tolerance was like, I loved it. And also Operation Zero Tolerance had like a really good Bobby story where it, it was like him and Cecilia Ray's trapped in Warren Worthington's like spare bachelor pad. Um, Operation Zero Tolerance, The Twelve, they get no love in X-Men history. They are some of the best X-Men stories. They're very character driven and people just are like, oh no, it's the 90s, early 2000s. I agree with you on operation. Such an aversion to the like people who grew up reading like the seventies or the eighties X-Men Claremont comics, they have such an aversion to like the nineties and early two thousand stuff. And I really don't, I really don't know why, like, yeah, you know, Phalanx Covenant, it, it's not the greatest X-Men story ever told, but I, I think it holds up. It's still fun. And it, it's one of the more, logical team forming stories I think we've gotten like a lot of times we just throw teams together um and I thought that you know it did that really well um so would you ever want to be a part of the writing team for a crossover like that where it's like one big overarching idea with a ton of different creators actually writing the story yeah I was you know yes short answer yes and the I think the the thing I would like if it happened is to be involved in breaking the story and having some like agency in that. Because when I was doing Iceman, they were like, oh, hey, by the way, like all of Marvel is doing this thing called Generations and we're gonna do a tie in with Iceman. What do you wanna do? We're thinking the champions, but tell us what you wanna do. And I was like, "Uh, this, that, and the other. And they're like, how about the champions? And I was like, (laughs) okay. Um, and then I was like, wow, that's like a really big order. Cause they were like, oh, by the way, like Black Widow is going to be dead, but like only pretend, but like she's dead. <laughs> um, so you have that too. And it was like, wow, that's like a lot of like meat for a 20 page story. Can I have two issues? And then it just like derailed the whole like tapestry of the arc I was trying to do, but it allowed me to have him meet Judah and like not get into a serious relationship, which was like a major goal. Um, everyone hated Judah and that's fine. Um, I mean, but, I didn't, I didn't hate Judah, but I, I have lots of questions about that. You know, as, as he needed a pushy guy to like, you know, do all the work for him. Like, um, but anyway, well, I uh, think the the way I kind of took Judah, and I, I'm sorry to deviate, but I, I feel being a mutant and what it means to be a mutant identity in, in in the Marvel universe, it's you're very sectioned off from the rest of the world. And Judah, for me, represented the LGBTQIA plus culture and how it was dispersed. So I spend being faced with that, you know, should I be moving to LA to be with Judah or do I stay with the mutants here? I think there was Central Park at the time. It just goes to show the the perils that someone who occupies two minority identities has to go through. I mean, and, and I say that as someone who's gay and Cuban because it's like on one hand, I was coming out of the closet, coming to terms with my sexuality. And then I had to navigate what it meant to be a Cuban American in, you know, in today's world. And people will call me a spick. But not only was I a spick, I was also the F word. So I, I feel the way you did that with Iceman was just so beautiful. And I, I, I really felt for him in that moment. Yeah, I mean, and also like, it, it came, well, because it always has to come from a real place, you know, and I, and I know that like, I had been in that situation where like, you just think like this thing will fix everything and like, we'll fix the hole in you. And like, um, and, and I know so many guys who've like literally moved from like, you know, like Seattle to like, you know, Toronto for a guy. Um, 
you know, and then you get there and you realize like you haven't done any of the work on yourself. Um, <laughs> and the work still comes with you. But I don't remember what our original question was leading up. Oh, I, yeah, I would totally love to do it. I would totally love to be a part of something because it would be great when, you know, like I was reading um, the Complete Champions book uh, that Marvel put out, the Mark Wade version. And it's like, you're reading it, you're reading it, you're reading it. And then suddenly there's like a Civil War II tie-in. Mm. And you're like, wait, what? Like, what just, I was just like, they were just in like New Mexico or something. And <laughs> it would just be nice if it both, like a good episode of Grey's Anatomy. You know what I mean? Like a crossover episode of Grey's Anatomy where like the story is still moving that you've been building towards all season but then Addison Shepard comes to work on this like crazy baby surgery. And then it brings new conflict in uh, that the characters are already dealing with. Like it'd be great if you were making ramen and they let you add more new crazy ingredients rather than you're making ramen and they're like, actually we want pho. And you're like, that's actually <laughs> I love this metaphor. <laughs> Your metaphor made me hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So, so moving forward to Iceman, I, mm -hmm. I'm curious about how did Iceman, the series, come about for you? Um, did you have to pitch Marvel? Did they come to you? And what was your approach? I mean, this was a very lofty goal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, so I wanted to write Generation X. Um, I was doing some stuff with Marvel. I had built this relationship with this editor over there at the time, Daniel Ketchum. And oh, I, know I, I, used to be, like, I used to be an internet Marvel. He was a really great guy to me. He is, I mean, he's incredibly engaged and incredibly smart and has some fantastic instincts. And I wouldn't have gotten anything if it weren't for him. Um, and so I just like, without even him asking, I was like, hey, here's an idea for Generation X reboot. Like, um, and that's where the Shade character originally popped up was she was a 17 year old girl who was the half sister of cloak and she threw pocket voids all for the phrase throwing shade. So I like, what's great is whenever people would come up to me about shade dark veil and be like, well, I came up with it. All right. I'm like, mm, check the receipts, check Marvel's <laughs> email. I actually like three years ago, like was trying to make this character a thing. So stop it. I love that. But I, I'm so glad I have receipts. But um, so anyway, I kept trying to be, I was like, like, oh, sorry, no, Henry, that was me. <laughs> that was me. So My dog will do the same thing. Oh, Henry. How is, how is Henry, by the way? He is okay. He's apparently, he didn't realize that me knocking on a table was uh, not someone knocking at the door, but he, he he's like 90%. He's good. Hey, buddy. Hey, Hi. I, I ordered one of those pins and I wear it all the time. It's adorable. Oh, good. Okay. Thank you. I'm, I'm so repping you your it. dog. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so when they were doing the resurrection relaunch, Daniel asked me, like, what do you think about Iceman? And I, like, I, I didn't know I was like pitching, pitching. All right, buddy, go, go lay down. I'm still doing this though. Give me, <laughs> give, give daddy a little while. Um, so I just kind of, I was very organic. I didn't think like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get the Iceman series. I didn't even think I was like auditioning against other people. And this is typically 
where my where the green lights happen in terms of like work is like I'm just coming from a real gut instinct place um and I was like because he said you know we had him come out and then we haven't done anything with it what would you do with it and I was like oh he's the guy who's hiding in plain sight like he's the guy he's he's a stand-up comic like they hide their pain right in front of you so no one investigates it and now he has to like investigate it uh and I think that you know it was like a page-long version of just me saying that um and then he was like okay yeah so we're gonna do it it's gonna launch this month blah 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 blah. and I was like wait what (laughs) um they're like can you have script number one like (laughs) issue number one on our table thanks well, we were, well, it was so crazy because we were the, like, one of the last books in that relaunch, but we knew we were part of it. So it just was this, like, very long journey to getting issue one, like, done and to the artist because we really had to figure out kind of what the shape of the book was. And it's like, okay, do you go, like, it's like, do you go turbo gay and give them, like, the Steven Universe of comics where, like, it's just hyper queer and hyper bright or you know do you give them an x-men book that happens to be gay and and that was kind of where we landed was like you give them an x-men book and the character just happens to be gay um and i don't know i didn't i was so busy just trying to prove that the book would be a success to marvel and i was so headstrong i didn't really like know i didn't really like know what I didn't think about any of the positives. I was just thinking about like sales numbers and I was just thinking about, I don't even know. I can't even remember. It was such a crazy, weird, like I was thinking about everything. Um, It was so nuts. It was just such a weird time. And like our artist was super late. So we're getting new artists and like, you know, Axel Alonso left and then Daniel left. So it was, there was just so much behind the scenes drama. Um, And then there was also, I don't know what, in front of the scenes drama like you know like the trolls were just assholes um fuck trolls <laughs> so it's just wild but i i didn't yeah i don't know i didn't think about i don't know i just you know i think because like midnighter had already come out i wasn't yeah. taking my contribution very seriously until you would see like the way the new york times would phrase it where it's like oh it's one of the founding x-men you know with his own series like that's different than midnighter who is hey this is a batman parallel it's always yeah. been gay yeah i was gonna say like you know Iceman was certainly the high much higher profile than than midnighter i mean i love what steve did on that book but I, Iceman was on you know another level so far as character recognition and just visibility as in my opinion anyway and you had sean ashmore commenting saying that he would love to play Iceman gay and openly proud of himself that was that was incredible and and by the way the to negate the trolls the people who read your book and actually enjoyed it 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 spoke loads to us i mean it was very defining so thank you so much for that i'm sorry you had to deal with those online trolls thank you but like at the end of the day it doesn't what i dealt with doesn't compare to like what what women and my trans friends have to deal with like they're just so much harder um, I also think they, like, realize, like, I think they're confused by me sometimes because, like, they're like, wait, this guy worked on The Walking Dead and he actually kind of draws okay. <laughs> and he, like, seems really nice, but we still hate him. It was, you know, 
it, it, it was fun to kind of just sort of it figure out my blood it boils my blood to hear things like that like when they can't categorize you or see you as a certain way like it's just like just stop like oh i know but it's you know but it's for anything like even yeah. like i'm sure like pepsi and coke fanatics <laughs> do that to each other you know like like taylor swift fans are full of oh, vitriol if you get them the wrong way if you give an album like a b minus review like they will so i I try not to be like, oh, wow, I'm so special in my victimhood. Like, it's like, oh, assholes are everywhere. Um, But speaking of, you know, assholes being everywhere and Iceman coming out, when you were originally drafting the process, how did you see Iceman as an openly gay superhero in 2018? I've said this uh, a bunch everywhere here and there. Um, I based him, I based what his where his head was at um, on a lot of friends of mine. Like I had like three, I have three friends specifically who came out like after 30, like today, you know, like whenever I was writing the book. So, because I didn't, I understand that we live in a post glee world and there are kids who are straight up going to prom with their same-sex partners or their, you know, awesome non-binary, like, fuck the spectrum partners, like, um, or fuck the binary partners. Anyway, whatever. Um, No, fuck the spectrum works. But anyway, (laughs) uh, I know that we exist in that world. Yeah. Uh, I also know that Marvel isn't ready to participate in that, per se. So what I did was I used at the time there's this time displaced version of Bobby. We were dealing with some time travel nonsense and we had a teenager, Bobby Drake. Um, and he was just like, yeah, I'm gay, whatever, you know? And so I use that as a, like our Bobby Drake being like, well, what's wrong with me? Like, why, why can't I be like myself? Like this kid's got it. This kid's got a boyfriend. This kid's happy. How come I'm not? And so, um, I just kind of focused on those tensions and tried to sort of get down to the feels, but then also continue making it funny. Um, and then also, I think my biggest fear was that I was like, I got this character stuff down. Like I'm good. I was more worried about if I could come up with good fight scenes. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> well, that pyro fight scene was incredible. Thank you. Thank Cause he was just I, in the backdrop. You made it about the characters. That, that's why it was incredible. I'm like, you didn't like when he was somehow using ice wings to fly? When he was fighting Juggernaut? <laughs> like, defying gravity with his ice wings? That was very um, Tell me why not. I, um, I also liked when he did the the big, like, Evangelion Iceman to fight the fake Sentinels. Anyway, yes, I had fun. Yes. <laughs> no, and, and the scene at, their, at the parents' house. I mean, that was, that was absolutely awesome. I mean, it was... I, what I love about it is that Bobby was a superhero and he was there and he, and he happened to be gay. And it, it just, again, it was one of those books that I wish I had had growing up and would have been a guiding light for me. Yeah. You want, I mean, at, I wanted it to be like the worst Spider-Man comic. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like at, at best. It most certainly was not the worst. Yeah. Spider-Man it was better than most. It was Spider-Man better. Comics. Stop it. 
But I mean, like, you know what I mean? When you're like a kid and Spider-Man comics are everywhere and it's like the Spider-Man fight of the week and he's literally like seven pages fighting someone, seven pages worrying about like meet, meeting Mary Jane on time and turning in his paper on time and then another seven pages of another fight. Like, I, you know, it would be nice if that was my biggest problem is like just having it, having it be that instead of like, oh, but it also has to speak to an entire audience of underserved people and accurately and appropriately portray them in a way that moves things forward. It's, you know, it, it is a challenge, but I just tried to be mellow about it the whole time. And I just was like, either I got this or I don't, you know? And I, anyway, yeah. so, and apparently I got it because it's you years did. later and we're talking about it some more, so. Yeah, definitely. And like what you said, you, you definitely had the characters down. I felt like pretty much everyone that appeared um, was written well. And I know that, you know, one thing that both Dayspring and myself were, were super excited about uh, happening in Iceman was the return of Emma's brother, Christian Frost. Um, I can't believe you brought him back. Yes. Yeah, we're both big fans of uh, Grant Morrison and uh, that Emma Frost solo series is, is highly underrated. Um, so I have to know, was it your idea to bring him back or was that something, you know, editors mentioned to you? I wanted, I had been fighting the first go around for Emma and they were like, no, Emma's busy. Like we're doing <laughs> stuff with Emma. Always. Um, oh, Emma. Like, like they wouldn't, like, it's very interesting. Like they won't, if your book is like a certain kind of book, they won't give you certain kinds of antagonists or supporting cast. Um, very weird. And so then for the second go around, I was like, I oh, you know what it was too? It was also, there was a little bit of like, we have to respect what Bendis did and not, and not pick holes at it or not get mad at it. And that was for Winter's End, actually. That was Gene, not Emma. Because when Gene came back, I was like, Bobby's got to talk to Gene. He's mad. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, with Emma, I was like, he needs to talk to Emma. Like, she was in his brain. We have to do yeah. something with that. And so that was, I knew I wanted that. And then when we were talking about the trigger as to why they would be in front of each other, uh, my editor was like, you know, she's got this brother. <laughs> and like he's in stasis like we don't there's nothing going on with him um and at the time i was doing a lot of like it was just in my like orbit um to be doing a lot of reading and studying um of those camps where they they take you and make try to make you anti-gay i forget what they're called conversion camps conversion. and conversion therapy um there was just like a whole glut of like articles talking about how like that has not gone away and so it felt really appropriate to say, okay, like here is like the number one victim of failed conversion therapy attempts. Um, he is also like, why isn't he a mutant? Um, so, because Cordelia and Adrian are. <laughs> so like why not? The whole family, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, I'm doing this. And so the idea to put him in was was brought up by my editor, and then it was my idea to kind of use Bobby's brain to help rehabilitate his brain. Um, and to sort of, my goal was like, if there was going to be another arc after the arc I was doing, um, was to kind of set them up as 
different, a different kind of foil than Bobby and Doc Hen. I, I wanted them, I wanted there to almost, like, I wanted it to be this, it's like, okay, so you're watching Buffy the first two seasons and some of season three, and Buffy has very legitimate reasons to be woe is me, right? <laughs> but then there comes this girl, Faith, who is like, on paper, some of the same circumstances, but she has even more reasons to be like, woe is me. And she resents this girl for all of her privilege and all of her resources. And I, and I wanted to have that be a Bobby and Christian thing down the line, that Christian is still struggling. And even though this whole time Bobby's been like, woe is me, like Irish Catholic guilt, like a mutant and gay guy, blah, 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 blah. Christian could be like, just tortured by the lack of like, mental health in him. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, it was really cool to bring him in. And it was really fun to kind of go into. I really wanted to go into Bobby's mind with Emma. Uh, and, and I, I, I'm really happy with that issue. I think it's a really special one. And I think it, I think that's like, that's why I really like the, that third volume, uh, the volume called Amazing Friends in the book market is just because it, it felt very much like, I'm just going to talk about what I want to talk about. I'm just going to tell the stories I want to tell. I'm going to use the characters that fit. And, it, you know, the editors at the time were really good about helping me do that and, and, and giving me, you know, even if they couldn't say yes, they, they tried their best to not say no. And that was, right. I am grateful for that. Well, we're happy um, he's back for sure. We're happy he's back. I love the idea of him being the faith to Bobby's Buffy. <laughs> That's I'm a diehard Buffy fan, so I'm just like gagging over that. But um, you mentioned Generation X. You mentioned him being a foil for Bobby. Were there any other stories that you had wanted to tell with Iceman, but you just couldn't tell? Yeah, what did I... I'm trying to remember what had sort of not or what had been tossed around or not dealt with. Um, I, oh, someone delivering me off. Sorry, my dog might bark again. It's fine. Uh, I Zoom. Have a <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to remember. I, I mean, I like, I think that Winter's End special was almost like to, even though he's problematic AF and I need to stop bringing him up, like, like it was almost like the serenity to Firefly where I still had like a mountain of things I needed to do. And Marvel was like, okay, well, we're not like, we're moving on with Hickman, but like you get 30 pages. We'll give you a 30 page special. Um, to tell. I remember when that was solicited, I was dying for it. to come. It came out in February, right? February 19. It was, yeah, it was supposed yeah. to come out in like January, December, yeah. And then we had to, like, the Shade Dark Veil stuff, like, blew up. And so we suddenly had to, like, fit her in and also kind of just, like, put some more information in there about her before, like, the Hickman stuff just bulldozed everything. Um, because there was a moment where we were talking about doing, like, a drag con variant for that for that issue. And, ah! um, but it, about it, it? Nothing worked out. It was, like, everyone was, like... Bulk everyone had like so many different like needs for that, that, that deal fall through and that's okay. Um, but that, that covered, like, I really wanted 
like again to bring it back to Buffy like I really wanted there to be more between Doc Hen and Bobby um I didn't want them to be OTP like one true pairing but I wanted them to just kind of keep like having sex and adventures with each other <laughs> um so that was in there and then I did want to kind of deal with the Jean Grey stuff uh also like while my arc was happening they got rid of the baby Bobby Drake and I wanted to deal with that too because the series begins with him having this like you know this guy is the trigger essentially and so um I yeah oh I wanted also a bad guy to like terrorize his family I wanted something with that. I also wanted to do a story with Arcade. I was like trying to make Arcade great again. Yes. Oh, I love Arcade. Arcade's always great. Well, I know, no. but like he hadn't been around. Like yeah. he was like used in some weird, like larger Marvel story, not in an X-Men thing. And so I kind of wanted to like see if I could fuck with him a little bit. Um, but then there was stuff that didn't need to happen. Like, I definitely was, like, thinking about, like, eco-terrorism. And Marvel was like, no one cares. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> eco-terrorism. Um, yeah, not every idea is gold. <laughs> um, I did love that scene where Bobby's mom sees um, old man Iceman, wizard Iceman at the end of the diner. And she's here like, nope, not dealing with that. <laughs> and I felt that was such a thematic and to that narrative with young Bobby, present Bobby, and, and now older Bobby. So I thought, again, it's just these little nuances in your writing that as a reader we pick up that just really, there, there's a payoff for it. And I'm so glad that you wrote Iceman. Thank you. I'm, yeah, it's, I feel special on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so would you approach writing Iceman differently today or, or are you generally satisfied uh, with the story you told? He's like, I like love that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, like I also wrote Jughead for Archie and they're just both these dudes that like, I love so much and I have no, I have no beef with the experience of being with that character. And I would love to keep hanging out you know, with Bobby Drake, and I would love to keep doing stuff with him. Um, you know, I know that there are some people who I think resent the, you know, whatever got them through or whatever gig, you know, that they're kind of most known for, even though they've done like nine other things since. Um, and it just goes back to like, why would I ever do that? Like, someone cares. And like, I think I would it's just a matter of, it's like the Grey's Anatomy thing. It's like, I'll wait till I've like overstayed my welcome, you know, and then I'll be yeah. like, okay, no one wants me here. I gotta go. <laughs> um, but no, I, I yeah, I, I, it would be fun to also like continue having him be more comfortable in his skin and not having his identity be a source of conflict um, in the narrative. Like, I, you know, I know that that's something we're all looking to do as we expand sort of the range of narratives for our community is like, okay, like the thing that makes them different can't be the thing that like makes their life suck. Like, yeah. And I was building towards that, you know, but also I wasn't quite there because like 
my thesis was like, this guy has to learn to love himself. Right. Um, and him not being honest about his identity is part of that. So I would love to continue that journey. Um, I also feel like I've learned a lot of lessons just in the you know time since and working with different editors and working at Marvel Comics and even just like taking a step back and looking at all of it and being like, oh yeah, huh? Like, what am I doing here? Like, what was I doing? Like, I could have just, you know, like, I, anyway, but yeah, totally. Short answer, yes. <laughs> so we've obviously brought her up a few times already, you know, Dark Veil, AKA Shade. Um, you know, the fan reaction to Shade has just been huge. Was that something that you anticipated at all no. or did that just, not at all? You didn't No, I mean, I knew it was gonna be like dope as my like hand tattoo um, is in shock. Um, I knew it would be cool. I brought it up to Marvel, but we were so busy debating about the Madden character um, in this arc for people who haven't um, read Iceman Volume 3, Amazing Friends, out now. Um, there is this Morlock named Madden, and Madden and the Morlocks in that arc, to me, represent like the trans non-binary community. Um, and it was so important for me to have this character um, read as trans non-binary. Um, and I was fighting really hard to also make the character uh, be canonically hailed, you know, as non-binary. Just, yeah. just, just could Iceman say they want, you know, in a sentence, like they're coming over. Like that was all I wanted. And it was months of them being like, no. And me being like, but can I, what if I say like, really? how many? I, that blows my mind. That just blows my mind. It's okay. It's okay. It's, you know, they, they had a straight white guy bring a shitty non-binary character recently, right? Named like softball or something or like pigeon butt. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, I, just, I you know, for me, and, and I'm sorry to, to interrupt you. I just, I always feel that when you're going to be writing the X-Men, you need people of color. You need people of experience, what it means to be the other, especially in today's society, because it's such a profound, unique perspective. And something like having genderless pronouns or characters who are post-gender. I mean, that's, that's like a Firestone, the dialect of sex 101, you know, yeah. class. it's not something that's so groundbreaking. And we already have an entire generation that is, is bringing that to the forefront, you know? Yeah. And I just, you know, look, the decision makers over there are of a certain age and everyone's looking at their bottom line and, you know, they don't, they don't care. Like they don't care anyway. So, um, I was too busy, we were all too busy, like, focusing on Madden. Um, like, I went to great, like, like, not, I'm not trying to, like, I'm trying to show, if, what I'm about to say is not bragging, it's trying to show people who are fellow creatives the responsibility you have to take if you're going to do something. Um, I, like, workshopped that character with uh, mental health professionals, like local leaders in the trans non-binary community, um, a college professor like in gender studies. Like I just wanted to make sure Madden was not bungled or not like I didn't fumble, you know, with the character. Um, so 
and then meanwhile, I'm like, okay, so this drag queen is going to be like these different drag queens put together. She's going to have this power. Like I sketched her out in like 30 minutes, sent it to the artist was like, this is what she looks like. Like, these are the color code. Like, this is the color code. These are the rep. Like it was so organic. And then of course, like that blew up, <laughs> you know, and it's the same thing. Like I said, with just the whole series is like, whenever I'm just doing it, being me, that's when the green light happens and and you know like her green hair i just sort of was like oh yeah she's gonna have polaris hair oh yeah she's gonna have a fuck ton of pouches and some like, popo hair you love polaris here wait so when you're planning out iceman when you're thinking of shade you're having all these different conversations did you ever go to any of those uh, x writer retreats they didn't invite me oh, <sighs> oh it's okay. they should have yeah of course they should have but i wasn't I wasn't making events. I'm not, uh, what is the term? I wasn't um, under contract or whatever. When you're like, yeah. what's the loyalty contract Exclusive. called? Exclusive. Um, you weren't one of the Marvel architects. <laughs> is that what they called no. them? No, yeah, I wasn't. I mean, and I also live on the West Coast. So it would have had to be, it would have had to be like, flying this guy to new york versus oh, like it. matt rosenberg lives in manhattan but is also right. exclusive and um was part of that at the time i mean again you have to understand like i yeah i was writing one x book and then before that had done like 40 pages of writing at marvel so they didn't i i never felt shitty about it you know whereas i know on the dc comic side of things like i think Bat writers who get the like Batgirl or the Nightwing titles, like sometimes they won't get invited and they'll feel really miffed. Um, and I just, I don't know, maybe I'm just like really good at ex like taking the hits and being like, no, it's fine. I'm not like a worthless. That's what happens. Well, um, I mean, to me, it's pretty obvious that, that you had good ideas because, you know, if you look at the cast of Marauders being published now, that is literally your <laughs> cast. That is literally your cast. You assembled them. You established their relationships. Was that something that you had advanced knowledge of or helped plan no. at all? Or was it just a huge shock? No, that was here. And if you guys actually, if, if you really do want to feel bad for me, uh, I was at Comic-Con. They announced it. I was like scrolling through the images of all the like titles. And I literally looked at that team and I was like, wow, what a cool team. I like. I was like, "Wow, I love those characters." I didn't. It like. You're like, where have I, I seen those characters before? <laughs> someone, well, someone tweeted it. Like, I think my friend Joe Glass tweeted it, and I was like, "Oh." And then I just like the more I thought about it, I was just like, "Oh, like that's," so like, "Oh, like man," and mind you, I like I did. Like, the writing was on the wall, but I was the first to say it. Like, I was like, I'm going to leave. Bye. Because I was very frustrated by some conversations towards the end. So it's not like... It's not like I put myself in a position where they could have said, like, hey, we want to do this Marauders book. Like, do you want to write it? But I don't... But that's also, like, they would have never anyway. Like, that would have never been my book. Um, so it was very, yeah, it was like super weird and I was really sad. Um, and I went and bought myself like a super expensive dinner. Like I like walked as far away from the convention center as I could and just like 
was like drinking and like low-key crying at this like Italian restaurant um no oh it's fine it just not the spaghetti warehouse i hope no i I said expensive (laughs) i'm just saying that's the only italian restaurant i could think of in in san diego no i I went to like i was like maybe near little italy or something i don't know i was i was far enough away from the convention center that like you didn't need a reservation (laughs) Um, because i am a walker and uh I like to like stay about like two miles away from the convention center and walk there and back each day. It helps like clear my mind and, and get me like emotionally ready to take on sort of the day at hand. And so Comic-Con is just a very exhausting experience. And I was just exhausted and tired and, you know, it, it just like, it was my first Comic-Con not with Iceman, I think. And just, you know, I was in my feels, but. Um, totally understandable. But also, like, whatever. Like, it's it's cool. It just, it was very validating because it just meant that, like, oh, yeah, like, I don't suck. I'm not nothing. Like, and, like, what do I do next? You know, it's like, how do I hand, like, how do I take this? Do I take it like a champ? Or do I, I don't know. You know, and I don't even remember. I, I, think, I, I think I said a few things. I think I, I, think I did get a little uh, pissy about it on the internet. But I also was just like. I think you have every right to. I mean that I mean that is definitely something you know since leaving Iceman you've been very open and very honest about some of the issues you know that you've had with Marvel um and I love that transparency by the way that I I'm somebody who aspires to write for Marvel one day and to sort of you know get your take on it um has been a little bit eye-opening but let's say that you are given the opportunity to write for them again uh, what sort of changes or like policies would need to change uh, in order for you to come back? Um, I don't think it's within my, I don't think I could ever possibly get them to do the things that I think would make them the better version of themselves as a company. Like one thing that I've learned now in pandemic Black Lives Matter times is like, it cannot be the responsibility of the employee, much less the freelance writer to like deal with like company, like a company wide issue, you know, or like case in point when they were sending the teenage Bobby back into the past, um, and therefore, and therefore like implicating that he's going to have to go back in the closet in order to like deal with the timey wimeyness of it all. My editor called me and was like, Hey, we have to do this. We suspect there's going to be blowback. Can you help us make sure there's no blowback? And I gave some feedback. I was like, I understand that like, based on the rules you've set up, this is how it's got to be. I was like, here's what I would do. I said, I'm one person. Talk to some other people. I doubt they did. Like, I'm like, you know, this isn't like. Wait, like, so were you the line that was in extermination where he's here? Like, don't worry, you you made a lot of difference by me you, for me just being here. I can be myself. Like, you changed everything. They yeah. showed me the script, and I gave. I don't remember what they kept of my stuff. They like, but I talked with Ed about it, and Ed cared. And like, but again, it goes back to like, I'm just one person. 
yeah. you need to hire third-party organizations because you can't put it on like of course the person in the company is going to want to be a team player and help that's not their job you know right. and so i think that's something that i would stand my ground on is like i would just be like sensitivity readers third-party organizations like glad has departments for this shit like oh. they have people you can hire for this shit yeah um you know but yeah and i would just say like probably just i would want to get everything like greenlit in advance and or approved in advance in terms of like risks being taken or decisions being made um so that way i wouldn't be up a, like it wouldn't be you know the thing i dealt with with both Madden and Shade, where it was like, one of them, they just like, didn't want to deal, they didn't want to deal with either of them. And they didn't know how to react when one of them blew up. Um, yeah. But no, I don't know, you know, it's, yeah, it's like, it's not on me to fix them, they need to want to be fixed. Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, I would never suggest that, that, you know, you need to go in and, and <laughs> force this million dollar corporation to change No, but no, you know, I, I think I, if it were me, I would do what it takes to, to will you back because you know, not speaking of hyperbole here, Iceman is my favorite X book of the last like five years, like period. Absolutely. And the character work that was done in that book uh, resonated so strongly with me and like so many other, you know, gay, gay fans, straight fans, non-binary fans, like the, the, the whole spectrum, you know, really well, responded to it from what even, I can tell. So you think about non-binary, the non-binary audience, which is such a big part of the Marvel fandom. I, I, it's just, it's baffling for me that that audience has never been considered before. And it's just so refreshing to hear a creator talk about, our groups and, and, and see us. So thank you for that. What else am I supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, like what wait, else is there to do? <laughs> you know? Wait, so are, have you been reading? Cause I agree with you. I do have grievance with uh, the positioning of the X-Men now and the Hickman's era and them having their own nation. But you know, my personal feelings aside, have you been reading the Dawn of X books? What are your, who are you most excited about? Which book are you like, okay, that's a really great book. Like, when I stopped working at Skybound, I had no, and there was no drama there. I just needed to stop being a comic book editor. Um, <laughs> I needed a break from watching The Walking Dead after, like, living, eating, sleeping, breathing it for nearly three years. Understandable. Um, Very understandable. I think, I think I still need a little more time. Like, I have The House of X hardcover. I have Marauders, Volume 1. And I've maybe gotten through like eight pages of each. And I'm just yeah. like, like, I don't know if I'm there for this. I also like, like Jonathan Hickman's style is just, it's not, it's funny. I've talked about like, like James Tynan like loves Jonathan Hickman's stuff. Like I'm like, oh, it's just so like, like it's so snooty. Like you think you just put some diagrams, like you're a genius. <laughs> and he's like, I love that yeah, stuff. Like and I'm man. like, like Ben's agreeing with you. I'm so with you on that. I was horrified when I heard that Jonathan Hickman was taking over because he, it's not that I don't appreciate a more cerebral comic book. It's just at, it, at the same time, it, it has to be written for like a 13 year old, you know, like it can't be too serious. There can't be too much exposition. Um, and while I am enjoying it more than I, I thought that I would, um, I definitely, yeah, everything you just said is exactly how I feel about Hickman for sure. 
I feel some of his greater ideas he's lifting from New X-Men. Like, you can see the New X-Men Grant Morrison influences in his run. Yeah, and they all, and I think that's the other thing too, is like, I just am so sick of like, I don't know, I think Grant Morrison did something really amazing, but then he set a precedent, which is like, if you're gonna go in and like, be a big name and, and, and take on the X-Men, then it means you have to like, throw everything away and rewrite the rules. And I, like, I didn't even, I actually, this is very controversial. I did not like Joss Whedon's run on uh, Astonishing X-Men. But like, I, I think I that that's dope. We, did um, and, 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 uh, we don't like it either. And I, I'll take it a step further. I interviewed Whedon when I was a writer at Wizard Magazine and he was a grade A asshole to me. And I think a lot of things that have happened recently are very problematic with him. Yeah, he's a prick, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but he, you know, he made one of my favorite TV shows. So what can you do well, besides credit well, all the women well, and Marty, Marty Nixon, um, David Greenwald, they all contributed to Buffy. That's how I. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I credit. It's like, yeah, that show is the costume designer and the weapons no. designer to and, me. And like, was- but I think it's like, that's my, that is the corner I would like to occupy if it's like I ever become a big name and it's like you get the keys. It's like, oh, I'd rather just do this like iconic three-year run over here rather than say like, okay, like if I contort these things, change this character's history and then add this new thing, like, oh, cool. Like I get to do like, it's, you know, like this is my story, everyone. Like I, I think anyone can succeed when they're told none of the rules apply to them. Right. Um, and, but like also the X line is doing great. People are excited about X-Men books right now. That is exciting. Yes, when comic books sell, that is exciting. So um, one day I'll read them and I will hopefully like some of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I think you'll like some of them. Some, you know, some are better than others for sure. Um, well, we could sit and we could talk X-Men and Iceman all day. Um, all day. But I know we're, we're running a little long, so uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up a little bit. But you've had the opportunity to uh, write for both X-Men and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which mm-hmm. is like a dream come true for a 90s gay like me. Um, you've also dabbled a bit with Shazam at DC, Jughead for Archie. Uh, what's it like getting to hop into such iconic sandboxes and, and play with these characters? And is there any other franchise uh, you'd like to tackle? It's been, luckily, everything has been something I'm a fan of. Like, like, sh- like the characters I've dealt with at DC, Shazam, Plastic Man, and oddly enough, even Green Lantern, I'm like, oh, I get it. I vibe with these dudes. Like, like and that's the funny thing is I just, I need to think bigger because I'm going to DC and I'm like, give me a Plastic Man series. I would do amazing. But it's like, no, bitch, sell them a book that sells like 50,000 units. Be like, Batman gets a vasectomy, you know. <laughs> like, <or something>. um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, it's been great. Like, luckily it's been great because I've been a fan of everything. And the, uh, the Power Rangers series I worked on with Ryan Parrott was Go-Go Power Rangers where it's, all about them being like teenagers adjusting to this great responsibility. So it was like exactly the vein I wanted 
to tap into and exactly the characters I wanted to write. And then Ryan is this amazing, amazing storyteller and taught me so much just about how you can like further blend action and emotion um, in ways that I like would not have comprehended beforehand. And, and our editor Daphna Plebman was, is also an amazing brain and, and just sort of made really, really great magic with us. Um, so that stuff is very cool. You know, I love it. And I've been really lucky that it's always been characters I like. <laughs> yeah. And I, it really, you can, you can tell when a writer is a fan of the characters that they're writing. Um, and I think that that's why I've responded to, I mean, not only are you writing the books that I, that I already enjoy, um, but it, it just, it just really comes across. Like you can tell that you, you've thought about it, you've researched it and, you know, you think about how the characters would actually speak rather than just, you know, oh, this is a writing gig. I'm just going to have them say some stuff. I just want to fanboy out about getting it together because the first issue just published last week. My and- new series at Image Comics. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that cover. Um, we were talking about it before we started the interview. I love it. I think the next cover has Carrie- is a Carrie Bradshaw homage. That is um, the variant to uh, number one. That's the Kevin Water variant. This has like food stains. It's torn up because this is my like reference copy. Mm-hmm. I also think I taped this copy to my boobs when I was doing an Instagram promotion. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah. So how did, it, a- how did it come together? It, it's kind of like a very modern day Friends. I, I, I'm just, I'm living for the drama. I, I, I hope there's more with Colton. Um, Sam, Lauren, by the way, Lauren is my favorite character. <laughs> and when you were talking about your sister and how you shared or you inherited her apartment, is Lauren based off of your sister in any way, shape or form? Lauren is who like I wish my sister was. Um, I've realized that all of my female friendships are like these women who I wish my sister had grown into rather than the perfectly wonderful, awesome sister she already is. Um, But when I was little, I just thought like my sister was like such a rad rock star kind of a human being, larger than life. Um, No, Lauren is actually based on uh, a couple friends of mine, but visually she's based on my friend Christine, who was in this band uh, when I was in my 20s in San Francisco. Um, and, And so the book came from my friend Omar Spahi being like, I want to do a book together. And he was the one that's like, I want it to be about like two best friends, a gay best friend and a straight best friend and sort of them uh, going through life together and their bromance being the biggest relationship of the series, like, and, and how things come in and out of that. When um, stood up to Colton at the end when they were at the concert, that just, that just warmed my heart. I mean, I, I have plenty of bro friends and they, they, they would do that. And it's, it was lovely. It's yeah. And I, it, so, you know, and, and I just jumped at the opportunity and I also said, I, I was like, I don't want to draw it. <laughs> I was like, but can we hire Jenny fine to draw it? And, um, and she's great. And, and I, and I am coming back for, I am drawing some sequences here and there and yeah, you drew sort of like pages, right? You drew the flashback pages. Yeah, and I'm drawing 20 pages of issue four, I, or I just finished it last night. That's why I'm like so exhausted today. Yes. Um, but it's a, it's just a really lovely book. We just wanted to tell kind of, yeah, a very different story um, in comic book form and, and really sort of each of us 
using this chance to kind of explore like delicate and nuanced aspects of being in your 20s that like most people don't talk about and I think for me you know it was like awesome to talk about prep like in a comic book you know granted Jack is not on prep he needs to get on prep Mm -hmm. um but you know that is like I think that's something that's like it's just this weird micro detail that like wouldn't come up in Iceman um and then on Omar's side of things like there's so much about like masculinity that's not explored and so much about I think even just like straight white men finally being allowed to be in their fields um, and figuring out, like men figuring out language for the first time about well, how they feel about things. Is that's, like the opening, that's the opening scene. I'm sorry to cut you off. It was the opening yeah. scene of the comic with Sam in the bed crying over the breakup, talking about how, oh, I thought this was gonna be a Pornhub situation if we have an open relationship. And no, it, it wasn't. And then we cut to Lauren's perspective and she's here like, oh, like he's, you know, he started feeling, he kind of like jumped the gun with some emotions and didn't let me explain. I thought that was, I noticed that that reversal of roles that are traditionally assigned to male and female, like heterosexuals. And I just thought it was so refreshing to see that in, in a yeah. very honest and organic way, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and to the, sort of main theme of everything I've been saying, like it always has to come from a real place. You know, like in the case of Iceman, it's so I can like, if anyone comes at me as a hater, I can be like, this is a very real thing. Like this is actually happened to someone I know. And then for this book, it's like, cause you want to tap into that, the audaciousness of like going to your friend with a story and being like, you wouldn't believe what happened. Yeah. Um, cause the Colton thing happened to me, like I dated a sociopath and the way I found out that he was a sociopath was he very stupidly told me about hooking up with a friend of mine and in and, and that whole thing too, where the guy's like, it's like, ugh, and he was sounding. And then my friend was like, I asked and yeah, I was, you know, just like that whole thing happened. And even um, getting my stuff that. back from him, uh, I brought like, my straight bro friend with me to like as backup because I was just like I don't know if this guy's violent like but I want my like he borrowed like three Lady Gaga shirts and a jacket and a pair of shoes absolutely not you need to get that back I got it all back don't worry it was years ago I'm safe so so is this kind of like auto fiction for your time in San Fran I think it's a love letter because I never fully lived there I I went to UC Santa Cruz and would just spend like lots of weekends and breaks there um and then i would spend like two weeks to a month at a time there um in my 20s i really love it and it's so it because it's like because it's like my auto fiction omar's auto fiction and then also a space for me to breathe life or give life to these women i know in like the local punk scene it it, it really does feel like a total work of fiction. It, it feels like, a you know, just such a blending of ideas that I, I couldn't necessarily say like, oh yeah, this is actually just, you know, last January, January, 2019 yeah. in San Francisco. Wait, I, I have one more question about it because I, yeah. I love the issue. But please, one thing I noticed, getting it together out now, everyone, yeah. please buy it. Get it, buy it, go to your comic book store, be safe or download it. Um, Mike Martz gave you guys some feedback on it, right? He read it. Did I, did I read that? Yeah, he, 
And Mike he, Mark, of course, is my favorite X Men editor. Like, aww. loved him. Um, he and Omar are super cool bros, and Mike gave us some really valuable advice uh, when we were like building on it and writing it and making it. I don't remember what it was. This book has been um, a few years in the making, just because Jenny is a. I don't want to say slow. She is a busy artist. She has a day job. She has a life. Um, and so to have gotten this book to across the finish line was, you know, a bit of a process and, and to also find, to make sure image was the right publisher was a bit of a, you know, there was journeys, it was a journey, but it was a good time. Um, so Mike gave us some advice that, that really helped us figure things out. And, and, and yeah, so I know that was like really important to Omar to like make sure he we thanked him. So I, I just don't remember what he said. Can I can I be a fanboy and ask? Did he say anything about your Iceman series or anything? No. Okay, that's that's <laughs> me being a fanboy. I wish. I wish. I, no, I, one of my favorite writers and then one of my favorite editors. Like boom, right there. But I I didn't interact with him directly, and and Omar never relayed any information to me. But I do think. No, I mean, I think Bendis must have read my Iceman because he tweeted some really nice stuff about the book because Omar interviewed him and like, you know, Omar makes friends with everyone. Um, and it was, yeah, he was really, really nice. And I think said some nice things to me too, but I need to write him an email and just be like, thanks, man. <laughs> like if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have anything. Um, not true, but you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, no, it's a, it was really cool. It's, it's a cool book and it's nice to just do. It's funny because like, it's not, you know, like my friends are selling like tens of thousands of books and, and I'm out here just trying to like, make sure the book like clears 10,000. And I have to remind myself like, Oh, you're doing like something different, like something different, never rarely sells the same way that like, you know, uh, like Justice League with a different outfit sells. Um, <laughs> and and so it's, yeah, I just have to remind myself that I gotta be cool. I gotta be mellow. You got it. It's a great book. The writing stands for itself. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Shit, yeah. this was good. I feel like, feel like I'm back in fighting shape. Like, never mind going to sleep. I want to work some more yeah, tonight. Man, we're going on an hour. <laughs> just get a couple gays to build you up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, you've been incredibly generous with your time. I, we really appreciate you. You know, we're, we're a young podcast. So getting our, one of our favorite X writers on, you know, early in our podcasting career is very exciting for us. Um, but before we totally wrap up, is there uh, any upcoming projects aside from the ones we've already discussed that you can tease for us? Do it, do it, do it, do it. No, I don't. Well, I like, well, what was nice is I got an email today for something with DC. So that was exciting. Okay. Um, so I will still be continuing my uh, relationship with DC. Um, that's great. Uh, anything I can, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I'm fine. Like, how about that though? <laughs> like I'm employed, I'm happy. There will be stuff soon, but it's I mean, in also 2020, that, that's more. a huge win. Yeah. And it's the craziest time. Yeah. It's like the pandemic and it's just like, anything can go away. Like February, 2020, I thought I had like 90 things that were going to happen. And then, you know, it was enough that I could like figure out how to pay rent. Yeah. Um, well, I will say, uh, cause we didn't get to talk about this and we also need to wrap up, uh, the third volume 
of my series at Boom Studios, Ghost in LA, will come out in December. That will be the whole um, 12-issue arc wrapped up. Um, it is another super special favorite gem of mine. I love that book so much. Also, if you love queer characters, um, really great cast that uh, just gets gayer and gayer and gayer as it goes on. And um, but also came out in September, right? What's that? Volume two came out in September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kind of once they started coming out, they just, they just it took a while for like volume one to come. Like I think it was, anyway, whatever. We don't need to talk about publishing calendars. <laughs> um, but no, it's a really lovely book. I really love it, and I, I hate that I have to tell people like buy volumes one and two to decide if you like it because volume one is a lot of like bricklaying, and and the characters need to do certain things in order for them to get to the good good. Um, so anyway. I, I have the first two volumes of Ghosted in LA, but I'm saving them for my book club. When it's my when it's my turn to pick, Ghosted in LA is happening. Yes. Yes. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. of course. Thank okay. You for well, us today, this has been such a wonderful conversation with you. Same. This is again. I I was at zero when I when I signed <laughs> signed in, and I'm like at 130 right now out of like no. five. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> I didn't feel good. You zero at all. You 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 brought it. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. I am the Uncanny Dayspring, and I am the Adjectiveless Flinkman. And you can find us on Instagram at Generations of X, or you can email us any questions, comments, or concerns at generationsofx at gmail dot com. Generations of X.